The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V and pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Tom. How are you? Good, Father. Good to see you. Thanks uh, for being thank here you. tonight. Rachel. Thank you. Yeah. Staying busy, keeping on top of all of the emails that we received and all the, uh, the current events. No, you're a better man than I. Go on. We're getting oh, no. quite a few, and I appreciate people. Definitely. Sending in questions. In fact, I apologize for those we haven't gotten to yet, but we intend to, well, God willing, live long enough to respond. <laughs> that's We're not ignoring anyone, that's for sure. That's the plan anyway. We've got a whole slate of, of topics tonight. But before we begin, Father, uh, I believe that, that you would like to mention about this upcoming rosary procession that we have uh, here oh, yes. for Our Lady of Fatima. Well, it's for the centenary of the miracle of the sun, apparition of Our Lady of Fatima. Mm -hmm. This is her sixth apparition at Fatima in 1917, and Our Lady crowned that uh, apparition with the promised miracle of the sun. And um, we are going to have a, rosary, a candlelight rosary procession at following a solemn mass at Immaculate Conception Church that evening. The solemn mass on October 13th, which is a Friday this year, will begin at five o'clock, and uh, five o'clock in the afternoon, in the evening if you want, and uh, then an hour and a half later at 6.30, we'll begin the candlelight rosary procession. We'll pray 15 decades of the rosary, uh, the tradi 15 traditional decades of the rosary, outside as we walk around uh, residential Norwood here. And uh, it should be very beautiful. We'll carry on the beer a statue of Our Lady of Fatima. And... Uh, Afterwards, when we return to the church, finish the rosary, and have benediction of the Blessed Sacrament, there will be refreshments served for those who braved the rigors of the evening, um, and uh, also perhaps uh, even setting off some sky lanterns. So uh, those are very beautiful, as you know, and kind of reminiscent of Our Lady's uh, uh, appearance there in a certain way. So in any case, it should be a beautiful evening, a very powerful evening all offered to God in honor of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary and reconsecrating ourselves to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart, even as Our Lady said we must do at Fatima. So that's our intention. That's October 13th, uh, Friday, beginning at 5 o'clock with the Solemn Mass and the Rosary Procession at 6.30. And Father, there are costs associated with this procession that we could use donations for? Are there are. There will there, be a certain... Uh, Local police presence to you know maintain safety will be crossing some streets and so on. So uh, Norwood's finest will be represented there, and uh, who knows maybe they might be joining us during the rosary. I hope. And uh, there there are costs for them also, of course, and uh, there are other costs as well um, associated with the rosary procession. So any donations to that effect would be much appreciated. But the most important contribution anybody can make is being there and praying, mm -hmm. praying the rosary. Definitely. Couldn't agree more. 
Father, I would like to read a very nice email that we recently received. Uh, speaking of, of praying the rosary here, uh, we've had this email for, uh, for, for a few days now, and I'd like to, I'd like to get into this, where basically this, this viewer references a, uh, a fairly recent video that you recorded concerning Francis and his commemoration of Martin Luther uh, from last year, I believe. And I'll just read the email here where this viewer says, I was about to leave the Catholic Church after facing progressive priests talking about everything but the salvation of souls, evangelization, conversion by the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thought I should have to go back to the basics, maybe back to the catacombs to find Christ again. However, Christ is with me already. I just needed guidance and I was guided. In December of 2016, I asked some of my church acquaintances if they would like to join me to create a prayer group to pray the rosary, but they were lukewarm, no energy. Later, I was attending a mass on the same, at the same church, and after it, I became so outrageous by what the priest said that I decided to leave the church. That was my fifth or sixth Catholic church. My husband then found a Latin mass church, not very close to home, but we decided to go there due to our spiritual needs. I went there by curiosity first, and after attending my second Mass there, I found a beloved group, the Legion of Mary, which I now belong to. I discovered the power of praying the rosary with them, and that by itself alone has been very re rewarding. I truly believe that Our Lady of Fatima guided us to that church to find that Legion of Mary group, which just started a new uh, presidium there some weeks earlier. I have other miracles of Our Lady of Fatima to talk about, but this is for another time. I want to thank you for the video. We need more of these educational and clarifying videos. I saw so many of my church acquaintances leaving the church. I would dare to say the progressive priests are the main cause of people leaving the church because there is no message anymore, a message of salvation, evangelization, or conversion. Thank you again. May God bless you, Father, and keep up the good fight because the work is not finished yet. Well, uh, thank you very much, whoever you are. God bless you. God does know who you are and will bless you, I'm sure, for your charity and uh, thoughtfulness in writing as you do. Those letters help a great deal because they show that, well, as St. Paul says, we're not just kind of beating the air. Uh, we're actually saying something that helps, and th that's what it's all about. I mean, the priest can't just assume that what he says is of any help to anyone unless someone gets back and says, Father, thank you for saying that. That did help me. And uh, so the reason to respond with a beautiful letter like that is not to make the priest proud of himself, but just to tell him, well, he's somewhat on the right track, so you know, uh, please uh, keep the message coming. So I appreciate that very much. <laughs> Definitely. I think you're on the right track, Father. Well, <laughs> the grace of, by the grace of God, believe me. Sounds good. Father, let's, let's talk about this question of the dialogue mass, which we raised some time ago, and we had a, a response to that that we've been hanging on to, where this viewer writes in and says, I just watched your recent discussion concerning the dialogue mass. In the program, Father Jenkins asserts that the dialogue mass was a modernist innovation. However, I have read in my own Catholic materials evidence to the contrary. Mm -hmm. There are excerpts from a reprint of the 1954 edition of Bishop Morrow's My Catholic Faith, and the 1941 edition of Father Stedman's My Sunday Missal. Bishop Morrow's catechism is widely promoted by traditionalists, and Father Stedman's Missal was even recommended by Father Jenkins in that video. So I appreciate your work and always look forward to your latest programs. Do you have a response to that, Father? Well, actually, there is a response to it, and I'll try to be characteristically brief, Tom. <laughs> okay. uh, the fact that those dates are given doesn't surprise me because... Uh, 
It's a well-known fact that the modernists were very active in the 1920s and 30s, uh, notably in Germany as well as in France. And uh, there was a time when, because of the, you know, the, the triumph of naturalism and rationalism and, the, the, and Masons using these as liberalism, I mean, <clears throat> liberalism is basically just institutionalized formal contempt for God. That's what liberalism is. It is, it is making a, a system of formal contempt for God and God's authority. <clears throat> that was going on in the nations of, of Europe. And with the rise of, uh, of the Nazis, the rise of the, uh, the fascists in Italy, and, and so on, <clears throat> the church became largely confined to the sacristy. Uh, the church was allowed practically no voice in the social life, as these as these uh, nefarious and godless and anti-god uh, ideologies were on the rise, and so it's fairly well known that, for example, Pius Parsh, you know, Pius Parsh, a German priest, <coughs> was involved in a liturgical movement in Germany uh, with, within the church to to bring about liturgical changes and so on, because basically the church had no not no real voice outside in in society at large. There was a lot of feel of, of liturgical ferment going on there. Now, Pius Parsh's name is fairly well known. I mean, his name, writing books about the liturgy and so on, <clears throat> is considered very, well, pious, that's his name. But he actually was introducing practices that were not necessarily uh, traditional, but by the time the 1940s and 50s rolled around, they, they were fairly well established in some quarters. <clears throat> and so there were innovations going on before before Vatican II. There were liturgical innovations going on before the 1950s. There were liturgical innovations going on before the 1940s. And St. Pius X writes about the, the activities of the modernists already in, in, the, in the first years of 19, the 1900s. And already by that time, they were very well entrenched. I mean, he, he himself had said he had tried to deal with them and to bring them back, back to the faith. But it was only after long and... Uh, arduous efforts on his part to bring them back that he denounced them in the encyclical of 1907. So we know the modernists were very active for quite some time. We know that from the time of Don Garager with the liturgical movement, the modernists were, were working away to try to subvert and pervert that liturgical movement. And they're still, they're still invoking this idea of active participation. Uh, the, the modernists will even cite the encyclical or, or uh, Trial Solicitudine of Pope Pius the Saint Pius the Tenth, his uh, motu proprio, I believe it was, <clears throat> about liturgical music and how uh, worldly it had become. In by by the time he he wrote about it in the early 1900s and the opening decade of the 1900s, and they try to make it sound as so they're just kind of the the uh, current expression of that idea, except uh, Pius X, they're not. They're, 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 they're exactly the opposite. St. Pius X condemned them as being exactly the opposite. So it takes a lot of nerve on their part to say, we are just the logical, continu necessary continuation of what St. Pius X started back then. He would <clears throat> probably take them by the lapels and give them a good shaking for that one. But... Uh, <clears throat> 
But also, um, I mean, b before St. Pius X, uh, Dom Garanger, the Benedictine monk, was trying to bring the people back to an understanding of the sacred liturgy. But he wasn't going to change the liturgy to suit the people. He was trying to awaken in the people an understanding of the liturgy. He was trying to instruct them on the beauty and the glory of the traditional liturgy. So again, what the modernists do is they tell a bald-faced lie. <clears throat> and the, 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 the more bald and the... And the more bold the lie is, the more they're convinced it's going to carry the day, because just how brazen they are in lying. And so they are somehow heirs to the liturgical tradition of active participation <coughs> desired by Don Garaget when he was trying to uh, increase a love and a knowledge in the faithful of the traditional liturgy, not change the liturgy to suit their ignorance and to bring the liturgy down to erase all the divine mysteries from the sacred liturgy, as we have in the, in the Novus Ordo. So uh, my answer to this gentleman would be, well, yes, it may well be so. I haven't checked the sources, but I have no reason to doubt what he's saying there, and I trust that he's an honest man, and he did find these things. But finding these things as he did does not mean that these are not, uh, these were not introduced by modernists over the years, 30s, 20s, even before that, with the idea that they were a step in the direction of the new mass, and that they would use these things, they would use the dialogue mass as a as a, uh, a stepping stone toward the new mass. One does not have to exercise an enormous energy of imagination to see how the dialogue mass would fit into that pro program very well, because it turns all of the people into the those who are responding to the mass. It basically allows the people to invade the sanctuary as, as though they were servers, man, woman, and child, <clears throat> breaking down the, the distinction between the, the nave and the sanctuary, uh, eventually eliminating the community altogether, bringing in female servers. I mean, the dialogue mass is a, definitely a step in that direction where everybody is, is responding more or less, <laughs> right? But there's also even a certain amount of, of disorder involved in that, with everybody, you know, responding or not, and um, and responding more or less clearly and you know, with more or less precision. It, it creates a certain amount of uh, chaos, mm -hmm. shall we say, a chaos factor. <clears throat> so much so that I've heard people who've been <clears throat> subjected to the to the dialogue mass and the pious the tenth. Saint, Society of St. Pius X churches saying it's extremely distracting to pray uh, <clears throat> when I've got you know, half of the people around me saying this, that, the other thing, some of them saying, answering very badly and very broken uh, Latin and very inaccurately, and others not responding at all, um, and saying it's, it's just kind of bedlam. So uh, this was not something that Dom Garanger himself promoted. In the um, in the liturgical renewal of the 1800s, it is not something that the traditional mass lends itself to. It is something that is definitely a step in the direction of the Novus Ordo. So, uh, even though the gentleman finds references to these things, the existence of these things or an acknowledgement of the existence of these things that doesn't make it traditional. Father, you mentioned the, the Society of St. Pius X. We have, uh, I thought, was an interesting email in the email here from a viewer who, who sums that up nicely, I thought, where uh, he was 
He says the SSPX has been pushing the dialogue maps down our throats for several years now. Okay. So your, but your presentation did not touch on the posturing that the SSPX forces us uh, in the midst of the Sung dialogue mass. We are to stand whenever the servers are standing and whenever the choir is singing. The end result is that we kneel for a total of three minutes, not counting the prayers at the foot of the altar in a high mass. We stand for the Kyrie and the incensing of the priest. The only time kneeling is at the actual consecration until the Paternoster begins. Then we are to keep standing until well after the priest's communion. There is more standing than is done in a Novus Ordo Mass. A Novus Ordo Mess, he writes, <laughs> where mm-hmm. they still have kneelers. The SSPX has us doing active participation in standing and reverence to our priests. What are your comments on this, Father? Standing and refer- reverence to the priest... Well, it's true. I mean, people do stand when the priest comes in, and they stand as the priest leaves. So that's an act of uh, acknowledgement of the priest being there in the in the in uh, as an altar Christi, you know. Um, but nonetheless, during the mass, which is worship of God, during the mass itself, when it's supposed to be kneeling before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. So standing when the priests enter the sanctuary, standing when the priest leaves the sanctuary, that's not a form of worship. But during the actual sacrifice of the Mass, uh, one is supposed to stand during the reading of the Gospel. Okay? Uh, actually, reading of the parts of the Mass that come directly from the Gospels. Okay? Like at the last Gospel, the Gospel of the Mass itself, the Paternoster, <clears throat> they can stand during a, a sung Mass for that, for the Paternoster. You know, some of it some of it does depend upon a certain amount of local custom. Some of it is not spelled out uh, rigorously in the rubrics, okay? But nonetheless, what he's describing here is definitely an ab- abuse, to say the least, right? Um, you know what it reminds me of, though, son? <clears throat> reminds me of the Eastern Rite. Uh, if you go into the ancient basilicas of Rome, you'll find that the, the pews there seem almost almost makeshift. Uh, they're wooden, and it's clear that they, they didn't come with the original basilica, clearly. And this is because it was traditional or customary at the time in a basilica to stand. It was like the major court. It was the court of the of the the, the, the emperor. Right? He exercised judgment there. He he uh, received uh, emissaries from nations there. He, it was uh, a, a very you know important place in the life of the early Romans. Uh, the imperial palace and its basilica. And so the, when the basilicas were given by Constantine, notably St. John Lateran to uh, Pope Sylvester, <clears throat> there were not pews. The place wasn't filled with pews. When the Mass began to be offered there, uh, it was customary uh, in the Greek and also in the Latin to stand. But the Latin rite adopted more and more the, the kneeling as a position of <clears throat> reverence, <clears throat> And also as the understanding of the people and the Mass, the understanding of of the people regarding the Mass, that it is the holy sacrifice, that brought them to their knees. As the sense of that uh, impressed itself upon them more and more and more, then the, the kneeling position and the prayerful position of the mass, uh, you know, in the Latin rite be- became much more common. So that even in the great basilicas now, where there were no uh, kneelers at first, there are now. 
because that is the Latin Rite tradition. If you're going to have Mass in the Latin Rite, that is the tradition, to kneel, not to do all that standing. If they want to uh, find that, they can go to the Melkite Rite or the Ruthenian Rite or one of the Eastern... Well, <clears throat> I mean, you have to find a priest who offers the traditional Eastern Rite. Uh, not so easy to find, necessarily, these days. <clears throat> but uh, it, was, it was customary to stand for much of the Eastern Rite, okay? Um, Eastern Rite liturgy. But the Latin Rite adopted what is not the tradition of the Latin Rite, and that is the, the prayer position of kneeling as a, as a matter of supplication and adoration. <clears throat> so uh, that, is, that is what they should be doing, not bringing in this dialogue mass and not bringing in this... Uh, this this mass where you're kneeling for basically three minutes during the whole thing, even with the presence of our Lord there on the, in the Blessed Sacrament. You know how it is in the in the Latin Rite, Tom, when you, when you go out for benediction of the Blessed Sacrament. As soon as that tabernacle opens, as soon as the tabernacle door opens, everyone kneels in adoration. That's the, 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 the indication of their awareness and their faith in the presence of Christ <clears throat> being brought from that tabernacle and placed before them. Um, and uh, they they then remain remain kneeling in adoration, right until <clears throat> the blessed sacrament is, is put back in the tabernacle, and you hear the tabernacle doors close. That's the that's the Latin rite. I, I thought it was interesting, Father. In this email, the the viewer actually uh, quotes Archbishop Lefebvre, where he says, "If our Lord is present on the altar, we must kneel." Right, right. So he he speaks as a very an excellent representative of the Catholic Latin Rite, the Roman Rite. I call it the Latin Rite, I'll call it the Roman Rite. Because in the Latin Rite, there were different, uh, even today, I mean, there are traditional Latin Rites, like the, such as the, the Promostratensians, the Norbertines, have their own Rite that is proper to their order. The Dominicans have their own Rite that is proper to their order. And the Benedictines, and they're all in Latin. Okay, so the Latin Rite encompasses all of these Latin rites of Mass, but they all have in common is the canon of the Mass, the standard canon of the Mass, that they all follow the same, okay? There are different practices here and there um, uh, for each of the religious orders that are very traditional, going back before, quote, primum of St. Pius V in 1570, which St. Pius V said, in quote, primum, had to be maintained. They could not be given up because they were traditional, so within the Latin rite, I mean, you have different uh, different rites for the diff multiple different orders, religious orders, or the Sarum rite, and so on and so forth. But um, but they all have in common, the, well, obviously, the theology of the Mass as the holy sacrifice, the unbloody sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. And they all share in common what Archbishop of House says here, that sense of the reverence of kneeling before the Blessed Sacrament. God forbid that the Society of St. Pius X should be getting people away from that black tradition of the Roman Rite. Mm -hmm. Father, we've been talking a lot tonight about standing and... And, and for reverence toward the priests? Yeah. That sounds, that sounds like modernism to me. Right. I'm sorry, but, you know, that, that's not... Anyway, sorry. <laughs> okay. it, it even hurts to hear that. You know, yeah. We'll... Rather than show the reverence to our Lord, the Blessed Sacrament, we're going to show reverence to the priest mm -hmm. by standing during the Mass, even mm -hmm. while Christ is present on the, on the altar. Mm -hmm. 
Father, with, with all this this talk of, of standing and, and kneeling, though, it seems that that's, uh, that's kind of going around the whole world right now with all of the chaos that's happening in the, the NFL and yeah. uh, where, yeah. where the players that are taking a knee during the national anthem or, or whatever it may be. And now that's even spreading to other sports now where there's been Major League Baseball players who have started to do this. And with uh, uh, President Trump's comments, it seems that this is going to be a more more widespread uh, mm-hmm. phenomenon that's going on. So would you have any, any comments on that, Father? Well, as I mentioned on Sunday, Tom, it's just a complete breakdown of respect. It's a complete breakdown of respect for anything anything, um, anything sacred, anything dignified, anything that we should love. Uh, this Antifa, which is nothing but a bunch of Marxists, Marxist rabble-rousing revolutionaries, and we're letting them just run wild, it seems. Uh, at least the liberals want them to run wild and do their, do their bidding. Um, but uh, you, you have that, but you also have now going on, as you say, in the NFL, this, um, this protest, okay? I guess the, the protest has to do with against white privilege or against the way you know, ethnic groups are being treated in America or some, how they're disadvantaged. And it seems so ironic. It starts out with a quarterback, a major, uh, one of the NFL team's quarterbacks, uh, taking a knee to show his, uh, his objection or protest against the United States of America, against the anthem, against the flag. And here's somebody who grew up, uh, you know, as an orphan, uh, basically. He was adopted, right? Raised very well by parents who were not of his, not of his race, <clears throat> treated like a son, loved like a son, uh, obviously given all of the advantages, made it to the National Football League, is making hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars a game. Okay, and he's protesting what disadvantage, you know, being downtrodden and so on. This is this is uh, this is ludicrous. <laughs> Um, but this is this is kind of typical of the high um, high self esteem crowd. You know, they have no self respect, but they've got tons of self esteem, you know? and um, and everything is owed to them. And even what they have, they don't appreciate it. They never appreciate it. You know, all they can think about it is uh, the fact that they don't have everything they want. You know, they might have everything more than anything they can use, uh, and, but they, 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 they evidently don't have anything they want. And what they want, well, uh, who knows what they want? Adoration? Is that what they want? Like Satan himself? I don't know. Anyway, this, this one guy uh, inspires others now to, to follow his lead, to void, uh, <clears throat> makes he vent their grievances, you know, and this is what it is. Everybody's a victim now, so you got to make a big issue about, oh, poor me, because I, I have these uh, these grievances, and I'm going to confront the world with my grievances. <clears throat> and um, and so it's spreading and spreading and spreading, and, and <clears throat> then you get uh, President Trump who weighs in. Uh, even the mother of this quarterback, who didn't agree with what her son was doing, says it would uh, Donald Trump did was a grave mistake, maybe because she saw that now this politicizes everything. Maybe she foresaw, I don't know, that now where you might have a half a dozen people doing this, now you'll have hundreds because they just don't like President Trump. You know, So now they're all going to do it as a protest against Donald Trump. And uh, that's what it seems to become. Is it mindless? Yeah. But not only is it mindless, 
it's uh, it's worse than that. Okay. Um, the the fundamental lack of respect to, toward our country, which we are bound to love. I mean, the people who have grown up here, and there's. I mean, we have so many people who are desperate to get into this country, even now. That we're we're still talking about building a wall to keep them all out, because of the other countries they have to live in, and what how horrible they are, and our country still affords opportunity and liberty uh, for them, even even still under the circumstances <clears throat> that this uh, Kaepernick enjoyed, this quarterback he enjoyed these things. <clears throat> Does he appreciate them? No, no. All he can do is spit on this country. Uh, that has afforded him. Of course, he married a Muslim woman, and that probably has a lot to do with his way of thinking. There's even a talk that he himself has become a Muslim, so maybe now in principle he feels he has to hate America. I don't know. But then why are so many of them streaming here? Why are we giving sanctuary to so many of them when they're being persecuted by their fellow Muslims in their own countries, right? And they want to come here, impose Sharia law, and make our country exactly like the country they tried they so desperately to get out of. They want to turn this into another Muslim country dominated by Sharia law, which creates a veritable hell on earth, you know. So anyway, it, it doesn't make any sense, except if you understand it as a protest against God. And when I say against God, I mean against the true God. <clears throat> the breakdown in parental authority, the breakdown <clears throat> is showing an actual contempt for the authority of the parents, doesn't begin in the children. It begins in the laws of the land, which, uh, which show contempt for parental authority. The laws of the land come from our legislators, our our governing officials, you know, the contempt that they show. Somebody was just asking, if all the Republicans and and all of the Democrats are against whatever it is, why do we still have these things happening? I mean, these are the guys who make the laws. So why do they see these things happening and then say, oh, this is terrible, and start accusing each other, but they all, they're all they all against this or that or the other thing, uh, like huge tax increases or whatever else it may be. Right? And if they're all against that, uh, and then they campaign against this, then why do we still have these things? And the answer is because, because they lie. Who lies? Well, that's just it. Liberals lie. And they start with a contempt, a formal contempt for the authority of God. That's what liberalism, liberalism is. <clears throat> Abortion, homosexual marriage, all of that is the result of a formal contempt for the authority of Almighty God <clears throat> that is at the very heart of liberalism. And when you have that, that, that fundamental disrespect toward God, which I call formal contempt, which is a mortal sin, for the authority of God, then you, then you're going to have uh, the erosion of respect for anything that is of God, anything. And you're going to wind up having this with NFL. You know what the commissioner of the NFL said, the National Football League, when Donald Trump <clears throat> objected to what these players were doing, <clears throat> the commissioner of the NFL has the nerve to stand up and say. President Trump is showing disrespect for the NFL. Now, he's got these players here who are showing such contempt and disrespect for the country, for the flag, for the anthem, and so on, and for the American people. They're showing such contempt for that. But that's not the problem. 
The problem is now Donald Trump is showing disrespect for the National Football League. Because it's like a religion to so many people. This is, this, is, this is crazy that anybody would even take that seriously. You'd think the man would be embarrassed to say something like that. But he, he doesn't have to be because there are people who say, oh, yeah, that's disrespectful to the National Football League. This is ridiculous. Hey, look at Tom. <clears throat> Tim Tebow <clears throat> takes a knee, right? He goes down on a knee <clears throat> to thank God for a good, say something he did right. He gives credit to God for something he did right. What do they do? What do the critics do? What does the media do? Bash they him. slam him. They bash him. How dare he pollute, you know, our television screen, our sport with his faith, right? Okay? <clears throat> coach, a coach or a team on the high school level wants to start a game with a prayer. What happens? What happens? Immediately the ACU steps in, right? And warns that coach, you are in contempt. <clears throat> you know, you are in really serious hot, hot, hot water here. I mean, even a matter of civil rights issues, okay? I mean, there could be criminal prosecutions over these things, right? But let these, these, these clowns here, right? I'm sorry, but they're acting like killer clowns. I'm sorry. But this is what they're doing, making spectacles of themselves, airing their grievances and their personal gripes. And, uh, and actually, their, <clears throat> I think their vices, myself, uh, of pride and arrogance and contempt. Um, and everybody has to worship and, and bow before them and acknowledge their right to do this as a sacred, God-given right. No, no, no. A sacred right given by the NFL now, you know? So that if anybody questions it, they're being disrespectful to the National Football League. Now, we have to remember about this, this professional sports business. I like sports very much, okay? I enjoy sport. I like any kind of sport, okay? Um, <clears throat> I, I really would love to play sports, um, uh, any, any, even at my age, I mean, I mean, they'd give me a chance, but they think I'm too old and fragile, I guess, <clears throat> just to get out and throw the football around or whatever. You know? But, but college football, uh, high school, you know, even these little types leagues, you know, that's all healthy stuff, I think, because, <clears throat> I mean, the church, the Catholic Church, has always recognized that physically we need sports. Sports is a good thing; it's part of our education. It is not an evil. It can be abused, no doubt about it. Um, and yes, parents can can give very bad example and, and uh, you know attack referees at their eight year old kids, uh, you know, little uh, baseball game, right? You know, yes, I realize that, that, that this can bring the worst out of a person, but in itself, it's a good thing. But you get into professional sports, and then you get into this kind of strange no man's land. <clears throat> where you get so much hype, so much money involved, so much bravado, and so much uh, just uh, arrogance and um, almost divinizing these players as though they were something superhuman, like on Mount Olympus, you know. <clears throat> You're supposed to be promoting fan loyalty for your, for your local team. The fans are supposed to be intensely loyal, even if the team is racking up a 16-loss uh, record, right? Even if they have a perfect record of 0-16, oh, 
The fans are still supposed to be intensely loyal, okay? Meanwhile, they're trading players. These teams are trading players around, and the players are going from one to another. They're looking for a big paycheck. The players don't show loyalty to the team. <clears throat> the players don't necessarily even show loyalty to the fans, right? The loyalty is always supposed to be one way. It's the paycheck that these big, big-name players are looking for. And in the course of their career, so-called, playing this game uh, for our entertainment, they may play for three or four or five different teams <clears throat> looking for big payouts, okay? And they'll play against the team they played for the year before and try to really try to beat them. There's no loyalty there. The loyalty is to the, to the money, the bottom line, their bank accounts. That's what their loyalty is to. The fans are supposed to be intensely loyal. There's something intrinsically wrong with this whole scenario, I think, of these professional sportsters and what has been made of this by the media. If you took, if you took one Sunday's worth of the National Football League, I guess we should all bow our heads when we say that. <clears throat> if you took one Sunday of that, and took all the money that was blown out the window, paying these players to do what they do, and all of the expenses involved, uh, right down to the electricity uh, and the lights of the stadium, all the television cameras and, and, and uh, the, the broadcasting, all of the, uh, the, the product endorsements, the commercials, uh, the whole thing, all of the dollars that go flowing that way. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars every single Sunday. And if you just took those dollars for just one Sunday and you applied them to something really good, I mean, something really good. <clears throat> Getting clean water to, you know, the villages in Africa where the children are being infected by these fireworms from the contaminated, the parasitic worms from the, from the, uh, the, the, the contaminated water they're drinking. Uh, getting fresh water into a village so the children don't have to go down to the, to the banks of the river or the, of the lake and risk being snatched by a crocodile. I mean, this is a daily aspect of life for some of these children out there. And the liberals are, are all over this, you know. Although with their hundreds of millions of dollars, they're looking for us to contribute, you know. We've got to. They want us to be the ones to do it. <clears throat> but if you just took one Sunday of the NFL and contributed to that purpose, what, what good can you accomplish? And yet, at the end of a Sunday or a Monday night football game, what have you accomplished with all of that? It's, it's a crime. I mean, I, I think it's a crime. I think it's just a shame. But, um, you know, I consider it all to be the results of original sin myself. Mm -hmm. That we value the things that are, exalt the things that really should be humbled. Yeah. As our Lord said in the Gospel on Sunday, right? Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. I like to read some of the uh, some of, of these grievances that some of the players had 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 aired, and if you read them, it's it's you can tell that it's just that these are inspired by Satan, the father of lies. Where there's just nothing but confusion. These yeah. these players, they don't even know what what their grievances are. Some of them they'll say, "Oh, it's this Black Lives Matter. We support that," or "It's uh, mis police abuse," or "It's." Uh, we're just, America is not, not, not equal. We don't treat everyone equally. They don't even know. And now I suppose it's all that we don't like Donald Trump. I, I suppose maybe he united them all. In that. Mm -hmm. They talk about Trump not uniting the people. Maybe he's uniting them. <laughs> well, yeah. It's kind of a strange <laughs> might, have, might have been his goal uh, But you're right, Tom. I've been looking to see, well, what exactly is your, is your 
What's your point here? Now, now they're standing for unity and locking their arms for unity. Yeah. What is that? What is what does all that even mean? It's like yeah. there's there's nothing there really. It's just a well, big, is the fact that they're standing along is that is that still meant to show respect for the anthem and the flag? That they're not going to take the someone. Knee? Someone actually made that point. They say, "Why, well, if you think about it, it, isn't taking a knee? Isn't that some, isn't that a form of, of reverence? Doesn't that does not show reverence?" Well, God forbid something? that they should do that and pray. Yeah, they'd be in big hot yeah. water if they did that. I think that. Uh, you know, they, they won't bend the knee for God, mm -hmm. but they'll do this as, again, this is like a, a, such a slap in the face. Yeah, I think that just goes to show that the, the, uh, that it's, your actions are all about the intentions behind them. Like you mentioned mm -hmm. Tim Tebow, he does the exact same thing. He takes a knee, but it's to praise God. That's yeah, a that's big no-no. But if you take a knee, where the action itself is not offensive. The action itself might even actually be uh, kind of reverent, you know? Taking, well, it's associated with reverence. Taking, taking a knee, but it's all about their intention. I mean, one could say, well, I'm kneeling down in reverence to our anthem because to me, this is, you know, corresponds to my faith or something. Mm -hmm. They could just as easily say that, but of course, that's not their yeah. point. Just saying. I just, I just think that they don't even know what they're. Yeah. I, I think that's typical liberalism too. That they, they don't, they don't have anything. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's just a big one, big lie, and mm -hmm. a lie is not a thing. So they have. <laughs> it's just a matter of showing contempt. Yeah, <clears throat> they, they've got to show contempt. They're angry, and they want to show contempt to somebody. Mm -hmm. It's like another way of sticking, like little child sticking his tongue out at somebody. Yeah. It's uh, it's tragic to see this this happening to our own country, but that's what liberalism does. Um, why should we be surprised that they do what they do, when you know, when when people come out in favor of murdering babies by the hundreds of thousands, even by the millions, then there is nothing so low, so evil that they're incapable of doing. There is no there is no bottom to that pit. You know, it's like an abyss. They can go lower and lower and lower. This is what liberalism is to, doing to us. This is where it's taking our country. Mm -hmm. We can't allow that to happen so far as we, we have to. I would that President Trump were the type of person who could, <clears throat> who were a deep thinker and who could express solid deep thoughts in such a way that it was compelling for good. I would that it was not, it was more than just a bunch of name calling. I would that he were able, when he takes a position that I think is the right position in itself, to take it for the right reasons and articulate those reasons in such a way that good people everywhere who have common sense and believe in truth and goodness and, 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 and rectitude and justice, right, and respect, that it would, it would hearken to something, something would resonate in their hearts and their souls, and, and that he could bring the best out of it. <clears throat> that he could rally them for what is really right and good. and uh, But unfortunately, uh, he's not that man, certainly not that man yet. And that's why I say we, we definitely need to pray for him. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, he gets things right, but unfortunately, even when he gets things right, he has a, a very, very hard time really articulating the principles of why this is the right thing. Yeah. Um, and often people think he's just he's just uh, basically uh, a brawler who's looking for a fight. But um, again, as I say, we need to pray. We need to pray for him. Yeah. Um, anyway, I know that uh, I know times are wasting here, but I think it would be making a mistake if we didn't mention this correctio that was sent 
to Francis in the yeah. Vatican. Another man we need to pray for. By 62, yeah, definitely. By 62, well, if some reports said theologians. They weren't theologians. Some said 62 scholars, but they're not, yeah, I guess you could call them scholars, I suppose. Uh, but uh, there are 62 signers to this original correction that was sent to Francis in the Vatican. I understand it actually was sent last, in August, and it's just basically uh, reached the light of day in the last few days now. And this is sort of a follow-up on the dubia that four cardinals brought to Francis about his Amoris Laetitia. Um, and it's, it's an interesting document in that it challenges him. The very title of this document is interesting. Correctio filialis de heresibus propagatis. That's pretty stiff language there. This is a filical correction concerning heresies that have been prop propagated. And the, the point is that in his uh, Amoris Laetitia, Francis actually propagated heresies. And in this 25-page document, they are setting about to show the justice of their correction, that they are correcting him for what he, they consider to be uh, propagated and obviously continuing propagating heresies. And uh, what, I, what I find interesting is when they close this, uh, this 25 pages of, of uh, <clears throat> actually, uh, it's not really a protest, it's a correction that they're issuing, okay? By one whom they, they say is the Roman pontiff, the vicar of Christ on earth. They're correcting him, giving him a filial correction. They, they end by professing their loyalty, this is what the summary says at the end, to the Holy Roman Church. They assure him of their prayers, and they ask for his apostolic blessing. So they're still recognizing his papal authority, even though they are, even in the process of doing this, saying that you are, you are propagating heresy. Okay? What I find interesting is what the... <clears throat> The Rarate Chaley website has to say about this. And by the way, much more can and should be said about this now, but this is the subject of another program entirely. So we're probably going to have to save this. I just uh, think it would be a mistake to let this go unmentioned at this point. <clears throat> that Rarate Chaley uh, has a note here. Rarate Chaley website, most of the people who watch this program will probably be aware of it. Okay. Um, notes this, there will be many Catholics, even traditionalists, whose first defeatist reaction will be to belittle this effort, this correctio. But the wise, the learned in history will understand that this is just the first part, the first piece of the puzzle, that's in italics, by the way, with next steps still to come in a long and extended process. Now, that statement is pretty interesting. The reason why this is interesting is because he says this correction is the beginning of a process. <clears throat> what is he expecting? <clears throat> He's evidently not expecting Francis to accept this correction. Otherwise, the process would be quasi-completed. If Francis were to go back and amend Amoris Laetitia, rewrite it or withdraw it, okay, then they could say, okay, well, our correctio achieved its purpose. Uh, Francis acknowledged the rightness of our actions and the correctness of our of our indictments right, of his of his writing, 
And so, you know, this wouldn't necessarily be the beginning of a long and extended process. What he seems to imply is he doesn't expect Francis to respond favorably to this if he responds at all. And that's why he says, continuing, this first step is an initiative of a theological nature that will likely lead, God willing, to an initiative of a canonical nature from those who have the mandate to act. Now, there's a, there's a lot implied in that, that he's saying God willing, and he, it sounds like this is where he wants it to go. This is just the first step, he says, initiative, which is now theological, on the theological level, you know. He wants it to go to a can canonical level where there are actually consequences, canonical consequences, even for Francis. For those who have a mandate to act on the, the charge of heresy. So what he's implying here is really amazing coming from, I think, this particular website. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, wow, these people are on the right track and everything's hunky-dory and, uh, you know, th this is the way to go and so on. I'm not saying that uh, there are not problems with the, with the whole idea here. I do that. I, 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 I see. Uh, but I, I welcome what they've done here. I mean, th th there are people here who come out of their so-called comfort zone now to take a stand publicly and to accuse someone they regard as the Roman pontiff. And they say there are historical precedents for this in actually accusing him of propagating heresy and correcting him and wanting him to respond by correcting what he, he himself is saying and, and, and doing too. Um, and the fact that they're saying this is just the first step now, which will ultimately or should ultimately end in a canonical process for those who have the mandate to act on this. Well, that's interesting, because I haven't heard any of them talking like that. I have heard none of them talking like that in all this time. It shows like the reality of this is beginning to set in. The gravity of the situation with Francis is beginning to set in. There's a very, very interesting uh, comment here, rather lengthy commentary, uh, by uh, Dr. Uh, Drileski. Dr. Drileski, in his site Christ or Chaos, writes a correction, in parentheses, that damns Ratzinger just as much as Bergoglio. And he, he explains this, uh, and I think he explains it very well, in his website uh, Christ or Chaos. So, um, anyway, if anybody wants to know more about this developing, the, the curious thing is, perhaps the most curious thing of all of this is, that one of the original signers of this, Correxio, is Bishop Bernard Follet of the Society of St. Pius X, the very bishop, leader of the Society of St. Pius X, who's trying to bring the Society of St. Pius X into communion with Francis. Isn't that peculiar? <laughs> let's, let's close the program. There's absolutely nothing <laughs> rational to be said about that. Uh, he is saying he's wanting to be recognized and approved by Francis. And at the same time, he's signing the correction concerning the heresies he's propagating. Wow. Thanks for being here tonight, Father. Time to... Uh... <laughs>
<laughs> Time to say goodnight. Yeah. God, God bless you. Thank you, Father. All of our listeners, yeah. too. Yeah. No problem. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.